Hi, welcome. So good that you've joined us again today. Last week, we started a three-week series called Kingdom Economics, where we're looking at a biblical response to how a person, a follower of Christ, should navigate their life or the financial aspect of their life through what is being termed by economists, the uh, media of today, a potential financial crisis, Old Testament terminology, a famine time. Now, we've been looking that God actually gives us a way of living as kingdom people that causes us to be able to navigate our lives in a different way through a time that's unsettled, potentially fearful. But we've got to be diligent in looking to scripture to provide the way of living that God has recommended we should be committed to. Now, we, st we started last week with part one, and if you missed part one, we were looking at good stewardship last week, kingdom stewardship. And you can go back and watch and catch up on part one of this series on our Facebook or YouTube platforms. But we looked at the subject of good stewardship, how living true to God's uh, kingdom economy starts with two things. Number one, seeing ourselves now as citizens of his kingdom and no longer citizens of the kingdom of the ways of this world or the system of this world. Number two, seeing ourselves as managers and stewards rather than owners, seeing our lives as being entrusted with things from God, strength, ability and resource. Losing that sole ownership perspective of being self-made, what I have is mine, what I've got, I did for myself, realising that that's a lie that a person can believe. We read verses from Deuteronomy that said, in a time of success or strength, don't say that you did this for yourself. Don't forget that it was God who gave you the ability to earn wealth. So we're returning to some of these simple principles that are key principles for us as we begin to say, right, this is how I am going to successfully navigate me and my family through a time that's being branded um, a financial crisis. So kingdom economics starts with seeing yourself as a steward of what God has entrusted to you. But then it takes us to an understanding, a base level understanding of something called tithing or the tithe. Again, please don't shut off. You may have heard teaching about this before, but you could hear something today that just sparks a fresh revelation that could change everything in the area of your life called finances and resources. So don't sit back, rather lean forward, make sure you've got a pen and a paper as we go over some of these classic verses that teach us concerning what tithing is. So what is the tithe? The tithe means the tenth part or the first part of something. That's what the word tithe means, a tenth or the tenth part or the first part. So what is tithing? Tithe is what we give. Tithing is the act of returning to God what is his. We don't give our tithes, we pay our tithes. We give offerings, but tithes are something that belong to God, that we are, through obedience and faith, returning 
back to God. So the tithe isn't something we give to God. It's something that belongs to him that we are returning because we understand that's a principle of honor, but also it causes blessing upon the remaining 90% that God has entrusted us with. So when we look at the tithe, we're not looking at a gift or a seed. We're looking at something that's related to obedience, honor and faith. Now, how can we talk about tithing and not go to the classic verses on tithing that we find in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 8 to 12? We're going to read through these verses and then pull out some key highlight truths, highlight truths that we find within them. So I'm going to start reading in verse 8. And it starts with a question. Will a mortal man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. Wow, what an opening statement. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, responds the Lord. It says, you're under a curse, you have a whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food or provision or resource in my house. Test me this in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not respond to your obedience if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that there will not be room enough to contain it or store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in the field will not drop their fruit before they're ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed, the people around you, will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land or a delightful life, says the Lord Almighty. Now, obviously, he's speaking in the terminology of crops with wheat and vines, but the principles remain the truth concerning that which is wealth or resource in our lives, that when we honour God with the first part or the tenth, what we do is we bring incredible blessing and protection upon the 90% that remains. So here's the key points that I believe are being made in this passage of scripture. According to Malachi, uh, to not tithe is robbery. Don't get angry with me. Don't shoot the postman. I'm only reading the word to you. Malachi teaches that to not tithe is robbery. And he also teaches that we're to bring or return all, not some, of the tithes to God, which means all of the tithe The full 10% belongs in the storehouse, which is the house of God, not shared out with different things that you're supporting. That's your offerings and your seed. Your tithe is something that belongs completely in the storehouse, the local church, that where God uses to sustain and feed you. Now, it says that they come into the storehouse. When it speaks of the storehouse, I believe that that speaks to us of the church. It speaks to us of the local church. It speaks to us of bringing our tithe, which belongs to God, to God by giving it to God's body. Remember, the church is the body of Christ. 
We'll read in a moment that when people first tithed, they gave to Melchizedek, that was the type of Christ over Christ. We today bring our tithes to the church. The church represents the body of Christ, and it's also the storehouse. Why does it call it a storehouse? One, because that's where there's provision to meet the needs of all people, but also it's a place that meets the spiritual needs of the life of you and your family. Now, this is also the only place in the Bible where God invites a man to test him. Think about that. Where else in the Bible does it say, and God says, test me, go ahead and test me. Testing is always negative in other contexts or scriptures that we read. But in this context, God says, listen, I know that you think that this is too good to be true, but I won't do my bit. So go ahead, test me in this, says the Lord. Now, he says that if you test him, his response, remember it's cause and effect, will be because you've honoured him with the 10%, the first part, of your increase, your finances, your resources, he will cause a multifaceted effect of increase and protection, not just on the finances in your life, but in the continuum or the complete of your life. I believe that when a person tithes and honors the Lord from a heart, not of obligation, but of revelation, it brings a protection, it brings um, a benefit, things don't get ripe too quick, opportunities aren't lost before you get to them. There's a divine protection. He stops the thief from stealing from you. The list goes on. Actually, when you consider the benefits of honoring God with 10% versus the result on the 90, it leaves you kind of thinking, why wouldn't I tithe? Not why would I? But again, it's something that God says every individual needs to test him or see if he's telling the truth concerning it. All right, let's look at some questions that I've often heard when we've talk, talk, spoken on tithing. You may say, but isn't tithing Old Testament and the law? Maybe you were listening to a podcast, you were listening to something on YouTube, and some ranting preacher said that tithing was the law and a thing that was Old Testament. I don't believe it is. Let me give you the reasons why I don't believe that it is. Tithing, I believe, is an ongoing active principle rather than a previously given law. Yes, we see laws of, given, given, laws of giving given to the people of Israel, but that was under the leadership of Moses within something called the Mosaic Law. But the principle of honouring God with the first of your life was in position before the Mosaic Law, 430 years before. And it was something that people did because of victory, not because of fear or guilt. It's also, I believe, it's numbered in a number of things that we, see, we still see as active principles. Let me say this side of the cross, because sometimes people say, oh, tithing, the tithing, honouring God with the tithe, that's, that's pre-cross, it's not post-cross. I would say, well, there's a lot of things that we still do that were under the law. Do we murder? Do we murder? Do we... Do we feel we have a license now to commit adultery? But those things were mentioned under a law, but they were also principles of a way that God would have us to live. That The law only brought to the surface that we were wrong and in transgression. They were before the law, things that God says, love your neighbor, um, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery. And when we look at the subject of tithing and tithing being a token of honor, 
I honestly believe that it's something that isn't law. It's an ongoing principle in the lives of those who know their lives belong to him. Now, let's look at the origins of tithing. We always look to the first time it happened to find an origin. And the first act of tithing was done, like I said, before the law by a man called Abraham, who was a man that wasn't walking by the law because the law hadn't yet been given. This was a man who walked by promise and grace. We see the life of Abraham, that God steps into this man's life, pulls him out of a weird and wacky lifestyle of even worshipping false gods, gives a promise to this man and a grace to this man of future things that God said, if you do this, I'll do that. So we see that before the law, the first person who tithed, who brought a tithe to the Lord, was actually a man who was walking by promise and grace, not legal requirement. And that man's name was Abraham. This happened 430 years before the Mosaic law was given. Let's visit this moment, shall we? And if you've got your notebooks, again, Genesis 14, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures today. Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. He represented, he was the Christ in that moment. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham the God Most High, of, of the God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 20, and, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he gave him a tenth, a tithe of all. Now, if you look back in that storyline, Abraham had just had a victory where God had given him an incredible victory. And Abraham knew that God had given him the strength in that victory. And Abraham's response was to bring a tenth or a tithe to the Lord. There's nowhere that you see God say, bring me a tithe in that context of its origins. But you see a man who had experienced God's goodness and victory honoured the Lord in that victory by returning the first part, the tenth part, to him. It, wasn't an, it was an act of victory in faith, not defeat or desperation. The tithe was given to Melchizedek, the type of Christ. Um, we tithe to the body, which is the church. Now, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, which was an endless priest. It was, it was Christ, the priest with no beginning or end. We bring our tithe to the body of Christ, which is the church. Now, tithes are received here by man, but also received in heaven by God. This is what sometimes people don't understand, that they see a bucket going round on Sunday morning. They see a pastor saying, hey, we're going to worship the Lord now. We're bringing our tithes. And they see the money that they're given being given to physical people, priests, pastors, um, reverence, whoever's leading the meeting. But often they don't have the vision that at the same moment their tithes are coming before the Lord in heaven. They're coming through the earthly but seen in the spiritual. You say, well, I'm not sure I've ever heard that before. Well, let's look at what it says in Hebrews 7 verse 8. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Here mortal men, your pastor, receives tithes, you send your tithe and they're received by mortal men. But at the same moment they're being received by mortal men, they're being received in heaven by the one that you're returning them to. It's wonderful, isn't it? Now, 
it's not just about Abraham. <clears throat> you can continue to read Jacob tithed, Genesis 28, verses 20 to 22. Um, Jesus encouraged the tithe. When the Pharisees came to him and spoke about how they were tithing herbs and mint and dill, Jesus said, as well as tithing, make sure you're operating in goodness and mercy and kindness. He never replaced the tithe. He said, as well as. Jesus lived by the principle of tithing, I believe, and also encouraged it, never denounced it or replaced it. Another name or terminology for tithes that you may hear or may have heard is first fruits. Now, sometimes we speak about the tithe, the tenth, returning the tenth to the Lord, and other times you could hear it spoken, returning the first fruits to the Lord. Here's a key verse that speaks of first fruits, and you'll find it in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, including your financials, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, shun evil. This will bring health to your body, nourishment to your bones. Verse 9. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit, the first part of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will bring over with new wine. Similar cause and effect to what we read in Malachi. Key points to remember here. It's warning us not to handle our finances by worldly wisdom but rather the wisdom that comes from God. Number two, it speaks again of cause and effect, that as we honour the Lord, as he's asked us to honour him, <clears throat> he causes blessings to follow that faith and obedience. We need to understand God's love of first things. So often uh, when you read through the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, you see that God was continually speaking of the first thing, Again, if you're making notes, Exodus 13, verse 2, he said that the firstborn of the livestock and the people belonged to him. The firstborn son was always in God's attention. The firstborn of the flock was always that which was in his attention for sacrifice. But also in Exodus 23, verse 19, he spoke of crops and things that would be equivalent to finances for us today, resources. And he says in Exodus 23, 19, but he wants the first, not the last. The first should be brought to God's house. Go back and study those verses when you have time. It's a principle that we see throughout Scripture. Let me give you some examples. Number one, in the Garden of Eden, God made two trees and he said, the first tree, the tree of uh, life is mine. You don't, you don't touch that tree. Every other tree in the garden is yours. That tree is a tithe tree, the tree of life, Adam and Eve, don't touch it, but every other tree. Why could Adam and Eve not delight in every other tree? Why did they have to touch the one tree that God said was his? That's similar to sometimes when we don't honour the tithe. We touch something that belongs to God and we ignore the other nine trees or the other 90% that he said he's provided for our well-being and goodness. Cain and Abel. The whole issue of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, verses 3 to 5, was an issue of firsts. Why was one person's gift received, a sacrifice received, and not the others? Because one brought the first fruit, the other brought a part of the fruit, something that was just a part of it, where God honoured and rejoiced in that which was coming as first fruit. 
promised land, so many examples. <clears throat> when God leads the children of Israel into the promised land, he says, every single city that I give you victory to win is yours to do what you want. But don't touch Jericho. Remember, Jericho was the first city of victory. And God said, everything that's in Jericho belongs to me. Don't touch it. It's not yours. But then every city after Jericho, the rest of the land is yours. What are we seeing here? Again, the principle of God's love for the first part. The teaching of Exodus, the first belongs to me. You can see it through Exodus. Abraham giving his first son. It's a continual that we see that God sees what we do with the tithe. But also the Bible records that the tithe is holy. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy. Holy means set apart to the Lord. I don't believe that this was a principle or a law in the Old Testament. I believe that it's a continued principle for us today as followers of Christ in a new covenant. Remember, we don't give it, we return it. It's not ours to keep. It's a matter of internal response. Remember the widow's offering that you read about in Mark chapter 12, verses 42 to 44. You see that God wasn't looking at the large amount in the hand of the Pharisee. He was looking at the small amount in the hand of the widow, but he wasn't actually looking at the hand. He was looking at what was going on in the heart, that with her lack, she wanted to honour him. With their abundance, they wanted to be seen. With her lack in her heart was an honour that though it was little, not worth shouting about, she wanted to live in a right way with her finances with the Lord. Hope you're still with me, enjoying this, making notes. It's a matter of percentage, not amount. This is a key understanding when it comes to the tithe. With the tithe, we don't actually define or quantify the success of our giving by the amount given, like the Pharisee with a large amount in his hand, rather the percentage honoured. You see, the woman in the temple was honouring a percentage, even though it wasn't a lot. You see, God doesn't look at the amount, he looks at the percentage. That's really worth thinking about. Because in doing this, God made a way of honouring him that wasn't based upon people's prosperity. See, if it was based on amount, that would exclude people. If it's based on percentage, no one's excluded. God doesn't look at the amount. If somebody's getting $100 and they bring $10, or £100 and they bring £10, if somebody's getting £10 and they bring £1, that's exactly the same to the Lord as a person earning millions and bringing um, less than the 10% or the 10%. When a person earns millions, it doesn't mean that they pay less tithe. That's worldly thinking based on sensory apprehension. Now, God's given us in tithing a level playing ground, so no one's excluded and no one's left out. But it's left with us all that we have a percentage to honour God with, and that choice is ours, whether we do it or not. Sadly, this is where I've seen a lot of confusion when it came to people and tithing. I've walked with people over the years that tithed and were blessed, and God really blessed them like he promised he would. Suddenly, they were earning a lot of money. And then one Sunday morning, they were deceived and they turned around and convinced themselves that the amount they were giving was more than the percentage God had asked for. 
So if somebody's earning millions, suddenly they may think, well, everybody else in church is probably giving a couple of hundred. Me, I'm giving a couple of thousand. That makes me a better giver. Wrong, because if that couple of thousand doesn't represent 10%, you are not giving or returning to God that which belongs to him. It's not about the amount. It's about the percentage. Hope that encourages your heart. Where does the tithe belong? This is another good question. Like we said before, the tithe belongs in the storehouse. What is the storehouse? It's the local place of fellowship and feeding. It's where you're spiritually fed. It's that place that you resource to be able to touch the city, town and village around you. Well, I give my tithe to a church I used to go to. That's not right. You need to bring your tithing. Again, I'm only telling you honestly from my perspective, it's brilliant that you were in churches before, but where's your current place where you're calling your spiritual home, that you're being spiritually fed, that you're saying, come on church, change the city around you. That's the place that your tithe belongs. Your offerings can go wherever you want. Your offerings, like we'll learn next week, can go to people that you once supported, evangelists, ministries, humanitarian care, but your tithe belongs in the storehouse which is the local church that you attend with you and your family now if you're watching online and you've made the online congregation your local church again it's a no-brainer to understand that your tithe needs to come to the storehouse which is the online congregation that you now align yourself with as being your local church i'll just say that because there's no confusion then now, we need to understand that it was God's plan also of sustaining his church. We have many needs. I went downstairs and apparently in our food bank today, this week, 120 full hampers that last five days have gone in to families in our communities. I look around at the way that we're serving people, the way that we're putting on services so people can encounter Christ. All of that needs to be resourced. It's God's plan that the giving of his people in returning the tithe to him is what resources his house. The problem is when people don't tithe, they make their church go begging, capping hand to the local council when that was never the plan. I honestly believe if everyone was to tithe effectively and correctly, there wouldn't be a need in the house of God and we could achieve everything that God has given us to do. See, we've got to shift the percentage from a few people tithing a little bit or a few people tithing correctly to everyone seeing that the tithe is holy. It actually brings blessing upon their life. But when we bring our tithe to the local church, we actually love the local church. And in us bringing our tithe to the local church, we are making a statement. God, I don't just say I love your church. I'm taking care of your bride also. You see, when you take care of the church, you're taking care of the bride of Christ. It all ties together, right? Now, okay, don't lose sight of the 90. Like I said, sometimes because of people's greed or insecurity or fear, they get obsessed and bound up about the 10% they think they're losing. And they don't see the principle that when you honour God with the first fruits, what's sacrificed in the 10% redeems the rest. That's a great principle that's taught by a number of people that teach on kingdom economics, that the sacrifice of the 10% redeems the 90%. Be excited about the 90%, not the loss of 10. That's short thinking, that's short-sightedness. Okay, so what does the tithe do? Let's go through a number of things as we summarize this session together today. Number one, it honors God for who he is and his place in your life. 
and also for the ability he gives you to earn wealth. Number two, it puts your trust and your faith in God and not in systems, governments or councils or your own initiative. Lean not to your own understanding. Number three, it acknowledges the source of your provision. My help cometh from the Lord. Number four, it resources the church. It makes your church able to do what God has called it to do and not not just do what it can, but do what it wants to or what it dreams of doing. Number five, it tests our hearts because God chooses money because money is involved in our priorities, securities, loyalties and affections. Listen, God does not need your money. God uses money to test your heart. God will use something that's treasure in your life to reveal what's got a grip on your life and who's in charge of your life. Number six, it opens the windows of heaven. It has a supernatural effect. It releases what's in the heavens over the natural of your world. Number seven, it affects the rest of your life. Because if the root is holy, so are the branches. Romans 11 verse 16. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If you give God and honor God with the tenth, the root, the branches, the 90% experience his life and blessing. Number eight, and this leads us into our next week, it prepares the ground for seed because your tithe is not seed. Your tithe is something that you return to God, but in returning your tithe to the Lord faithfully and passionately, you prepare your life to be good ground for seed that you sow. We're going to lead into that next week. Let me finish with this. What often stops a person from tithing? It's good, honest questions, isn't it? Number one, ignorance, because they've been unaware of God's kingdom economic system. Now, I hope today, if that's been you, I've been able to remove some of the ignorance and give you some verses that actually give you revelation because ignorance will stop a person honoring God correctly with their tithe. Lack of faith, fear-based lack of faith, not believing that God will do what he's promised, yet God says, test me, test me, test me, test me. God wants you to walk by faith and it starts by honoring him in that important part of your life called your finances and your resources, uh, returning the tithe to him. Greed. Some people don't give God the 10% because they want it. They want to spend it on a holiday. They want to spend it on a house extension. They want to expend it on a new car. Enjoy that holiday. Enjoy that extension. Enjoy that new car. Because actually what you're doing is you're spending it with money that's not yours. You may have an earthly momentary joy that comes from that. But think for a moment, what are you missing out on concerning the 90? Um, Fear stops people giving. Okay, maybe you're watching today and you say, I need to find a way forward when it comes to tithing. I've not been tithing. I've not been tithing correctly. You may say I'm not in a position to tithe. Three things very quickly in response. Number one, rebudgeting. Find the coin. You know, I love reading about this in the parable of Luke 15. It speaks of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. But it's amazing. It says that a woman had, in verse 8, a woman had 10 coins. She lost one of her coins. So she laid the nine coins aside to find the missing one. Sometimes when we come with a heart to tithe correctly and we say, right, Lord, I'm going to rebudget, what you're doing is you're finding the coin 
um, uh, that you've lost or that coin that needs to be found, that 10%. Sometimes the 10% that belongs to God can be found in rebudgeting. You're spending this amount on coffee. You're spending this amount on eating out. You're spending this amount on McDonald's. You're spending this amount. Sometimes it's in rebudgeting. We actually find the 10% to give to God. We don't need an increase. We just need to rearrange our current financial structure. Now, some of you will love that thought. Some of you will hate it, but I'm just telling you the truth today. Number two, reprioritizing your finances. That's, that's similar to the first one. Giving it a place of importance in your budget. Don't give God what's left at the end. Say, no, the first belongs to God, and then the 90% belongs to me, and it has the windows of heaven uh, open above it. Don't pay everybody else and then give God anything that's left at the end. You know, I always love to give God the first payment out of my bank account is my tithe, because I always want God to see it coming from a heart that says, you first, Lord, you first. Number three, maybe you need to start a journey to 10%. Maybe you're looking at your finances, you're looking at rebudgeting, finding the lost coin, you're looking at repurposing, removing certain things that you really don't need in your life, you just want them to give a priority to the tithe. Remember, this is the stuff that's going to cause you to navigate a financial crisis in a successful way. This is important stuff for people to be hearing. Now, sometimes I've spoken to people and they've said, I can't afford to tithe. There is no 10%. I've said, have you looked for the missing coin? Have you rebudgeted? Have you looked at what you're wasting money on or what isn't as important? Yeah, I've done that, Pastor Andy. I've done that. There is no excess. Then I believe... And I've not got a verse in the Bible for this, but I've seen this work so many times that if you start a journey towards the 10%, God will meet you on that journey. But I've seen people and I've said, what can you give? They said, well, we can give 1%. That's still sacrificial, but we can give 1%. I said, okay, let's start a journey of giving that 1%, saying, Lord, I know this is 1%, but in honoring you with the one, bring me to the 10. So many testimonies, time and time and time again, I've seen people start with one or two or five, and God supernaturally bring them to the place that they could give 10% and actually more than 10%. And they came back giving glory to God. Maybe that's a journey you need to start, a journey of faith. Now, again, this is something that's really good. But if it's inspired questions, I want to encourage you to talk to your pastor. I want to encourage you to talk to a godly leader that believes the word of God regarding these things. And get wisdom, get counsel, get input. Don't just um, turn the TV off in a moment and go, well, that was nice. No, no. What I'm trying to do is tee you up so that whatever's coming financially in the next months or years, you don't crumble like a man that built his house upon the sand, but you remain strong. How do you remain strong? By making the word of God, the ways of God's kingdom, the ways that you live by in your life. So remember, this is the only thing the Bible tells us that God invites us to test him. So if you've not been tithing or tithing correctly, why not go ahead and test him? See if he proves himself. He is not doing this or asking for your tithe because he needs it. Rather, he wants to set you up to experience him supernaturally meeting every need. Now, when we move, God responds. When we tithe, God causes the effect of open windows above our life. 
My plan for my family is through whatever is a financial crisis, we experience the goodness of God in the land of the living because we choose and purpose to live by his ways and instruction, not the ways of worldly wisdom that doesn't know what it believes yet itself. Hope this has been useful. Join me next week when we're going to look at what we do with the good ground of tithed soil with sowing and reaping. God bless.